0: summer of 1987 all of 18 years old I arrive in Israel for my year in Israel my year abroad to study in yeshiva and of course on the first weekend in Israel all my friends want to go to Tel Aviv and sleep on the beach so I go with them I arrive at the at the central bus station in Tel Aviv And it's the old Tachana Merkazit, those who remember the old Tachana Merkazit, the old bus station. And literally within five minutes, I've lost the entire group, and I'm all by myself. (laughs) I speak Hebrew, sort of, at that point. And I start asking people for directions to get to where I imagined there would be a rendezvous. After about an hour... I arrived back at the first place I had been <laughs> and I realized that I was and had been about five minutes from where they were and I had known it from the beginning, but I had been so fablungeon. you know what Fablungeon is? <laughs> I was so confused, I listened to ten people telling me where to go. And in the end, I found it myself. I was reminded of that story because I had something that I haven't had in a long time happen to me this past week. I had a philosophical debate with someone. My training in philosophy in undergrad and my rabbinical training in a number of different institutions made me someone who liked fighting about the truth And later on in my life, that practice of fighting with people. But for some reason, someone said something that really caught my ear and I began to debate this person. Essentially, he was arguing that human beings left to their own devices. If we are left to our own devices we're lost completely. Were it not for revelation, were it not for ethicists and moralists, human beings, by definition, would be left to their own subjective, relative, ethical constructs. And that itself, he said, is a proof that we need God. I don't want to get into that. But what really, really irked me was his assertion that we have no sense of an authentic inner voice to make decisions for us. His assertion that if we don't have an external code, an authority, something handed down from generation to generation, that we would be lost. It immediately brought up for me a very famous sutra from the Buddha, In what was known as the Kalamata Sutra, the Buddha wrote very beautifully, he said, it was written in his name. After a group of what were called the Kalamas came to the Buddha and asked him, he said they were they were all confused. Kind of like our spiritual marketplace. They didn't know which spiritual practice was the true practice. And so they came to the Buddha and they said, Tell us, Buddha, are you coming here today to teach us the true way, the right way? We're confused you might just be giving us another practice that we'll have to be confused about. So the Buddha said something brilliant. You may be puzzled, kalamas, and in doubt, and your doubt has arisen about what should be doubted. Do not believe me either, said the Buddha. If you wish to know spiritual truth, you must investigate it this way. Do not, kalamas, be satisfied with hearsay and tradition, with legends or what is written in great scriptures, with conjecture or logic or with liking for a view or disliking it, saying this comes from a great master. But look in yourselves. When you know in yourselves, said the Buddha, what teachings are unprofitable, condemned by the wise, when adopted, put into effect, lead to harm or suffering, you should abandon them. If they lead to falsehood and greed, to the increase of hatred or delusion, abandon them. Again, do not be satisfied with hearsay or tradition. Only when you know in yourself that it is true. He could have easily, the Buddha, been quoting from this week's Torah portion. This week's reading, Lech Shachlicha, tells the story of the spies. That were sent by Moshe Rabbeinu, by Moses, our teacher, to investigate the land. And of course, they bring back a false report, ten of them, saying, in essence, we can't do it. It's not possible. It's an Eretz, Ochelet, Yoshua, it's a land that eats its inhabitants. There's no way to enter the land say 10 of the 12 spies. And the heroes of the story, Kalev and Yehoshua, say very powerfully, no. Your facts might be right, says Kalev. We will go up and we will inherit her, for we can do it. Without disputing the facts, Without arguing on whether the land is indeed the 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 objective, empirical state of the land is as it is, as the ten other spies had explained, Caleb and Joshua say no. Regardless of what you have heard, trust me. Trust me that you can make it, or better. Maybe you need to test yourselves and go into the land yourselves before you will know. Maybe you need to go in as we went in for you to have the experience. In other words, don't trust us. Don't trust the ten spies and certainly don't trust us either until you've gone into the land. If we read the response of Caleb and Joshua, which is don't trust any of the reports, You'll have to go into the land yourself to know it. It answers a problem that I've had with this story for years. Essentially, the story, if you read it, is the reason why the Israelites do not make it into the land of Israel. Now, let me ask you a question. At first glance, what's worse? Listening to some bad, evil report, a little gossip on Huffington Post, it arrives, you know, in your mailbox. Israel's not as great as you thought it was. Or worshipping a golden calf, can I get some props here? I mean, come on. Worshipping a golden calf? They worship the golden calf and they get another set of tablets and everything is okay. Salah de no problem. But they heard a report and that's it. They don't enter the land. Forty years are decreed and everyone must die off. What is so horrible about listening to a report that isn't the truth? What is fundamentally at risk If we put it that way, Rav Kook wrote one of the most important teachings, and has moved me every time I've read it, and I will read it again to you now. Rav Kook wrote, paraphrasing Ezekiel, who said, "Vaani begolah," and I am in exile. I am in the midst of exile when the inner essential eye of the individual only reveals itself to the extent of the higher courage, which is drenched with the pure light of higher radiance, which burns within. Rav Kook reads a text in the beginning of Ezekiel where the prophet says, I am located in exile. Ani bagola. Ani, I, bagola. I was in exile. And instead of reading it, Rav Kook says, as a geographic piece of information, oh, I happen to be on the river Kedar. Rav Cook says that Ezekiel is saying that there's a, a reality called va'ani bagola, that my essential I is in exile. My essential core identity, who I am, what my story is, the contours and shapes of my soul is in exile. And when is it in exile, says Rav Cook. When the first man sinned, he became alienated from his own personhood. He turned to the opinion of the snake and lost himself. And he could not give a clear answer to God's question, Ayeka, where are you? For he did not know his own soul because his I-ness had perished in the sin of bowing to a foreign god. Ruff writes that at that moment in the mythical Garden of Eden, when God had given a clear directive to Adam, Adam listened to a foreign voice, to something that is nechar. What is nechar? Foreign, distant, alienated. In that moment of Cook writes, that moment was the moment of original sin. Not in the Christian sense of Augustine or original sin. The primal sin was that Adam forgot to ask his own counsel. He listened to the snake. The snake here is representative of that voice which comes from the outside. Adam lost a sense of his own inner guide, his own inner truth. He established a rapport with the snake, with that which was beyond. And Rav Kook, using the word nechar, is reading one of the Ten Commandments. Do not make for yourselves foreign gods. Idolatry, the root of idolatry is not setting up a golden calf. The root of idolatry is when people come and tell you what your truth is. When people come and tell you how to live your life. When religion, instead of exposing mystery and questions, comes and gives you pat answers. When religion, in the name of God or God, says to you, you know, I know who you are, Max, better than you know yourself. When religion comes along and with its heteronomy and it comes from the outside and says, here's the way to live a good life. Religion has lost its own way and is in exile. And be that religion or any other system, Rav Cook isn't saying that we should forget about our ancestors. Rav Kook is not saying that we should begin from scratch every week. But Rav Cook is saying that each and every one of us has our own inner wisdom. Each and every one of us has our own compass. Each of us is radically unique. The spies were punished. The people were punished. They weren't punished by the golden calf. That's just a little symptom. They were punished when they performed the primal sin, when they were involved in the primal moment, when they forgot to check in, when they forgot to be in a connection with their own inner place. I say this, this Shabbos, for a number of reasons, but one of them is there was another report this week that was given by a group of spies about the population of the New York Jewish community. And though the facts seem to be true, everyone, everyone, What I would like to know from these surveys is how is it that we can find an inner wisdom that will connect us not just to population surveys but to surveys we take of ourselves and our souls. I wonder about what Jewish institutional life will look like when the soul is the most important question that we can ask. God should bless us with the power to hear our own voices. God should bless us with the strength to trust that we have a unique path. And God should protect us to some degree from making gods out of those things that fill our alienated places so that we can have the strength to live our lives through our own eyes. May that be true, and let us say, Amen.